to be able to sit in your presence of a king who is so great, a king who is so mighty, a king who's with us when we are up on top of the mountains, and a king who is with us when we walk through valleys. What an honor it has been for us this morning to worship you as we have expressed to you our hearts through song. Father, as we open up your word, we know that you would have us to continue to worship the God of this word, and that we would see Jesus high and lifted up in the pages of Scripture, and that this morning you would remind us that there is forgiveness for the failures. We invite you now to teach us from your word. Transform us. In Jesus' good name I pray, amen and amen. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word, open with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 21. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 19, and I'm going to share a message with you today that I have simply titled, Forgiveness for the Failures. Of course, we know that last Sunday was Easter Sunday, and, and we know that today we are here again gathered for the very same purpose, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ our King, and we know that if the Lord decides to, uh, to wait for his return for another week, that next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll gather again and we will worship the resurrection of Jesus or the resurrected King, Jesus Christ. Now, that being said, today feels a little bit different than last week, right? It's just a different feel to it. Uh, maybe not quite as many people got out of bed this morning or, or maybe a couple different things about it. Maybe you don't have as elaborate lunch plans and all that good kind of stuff. But if you think it's a different feel for us, I want you to try to put your, yourself back in the, the shoes or the sandals, I guess we should say, of the disciples the week after the resurrection. Imagine how different things felt for them. I mean, Jesus had appeared to them after his resurrection which undoubtedly instilled in some of them a sense of hope in their hearts, yet some of them probably still felt a little bit uneasy. Some of them probably felt a little bit of fear, and I bet a lot of them still felt pretty guilty. Recall that 91.6%, that's 11 out of 12, just in case you want to go, wow, our pastor knows math. No, your pastor knows how a calculator works. <laughs> Recall that 91.6% of these disciples had either denied Jesus, doubted Jesus, or deserted Jesus. After the resurrection, some remarkable things happened. Now, normally when I preach and share a sermon with you, I, I'm a linear in my thinking and in my studying and in my preparation and delivery, and I like to go from point A to point B to point B to point C, whatever else. But, but today, today is a pointless sermon, okay? You can go home and say, my pastor preached a pointless sermon, okay? Some of you are going, that's every Sunday, and for you, for you deacons who are thinking that, just we'll pray for you, Okay? 
But I, I just want us to read this text. I just want us to sit in this text. I want this, this text to, to sit in us. And, and I just want us to, to see the truths of this text as, as we read through some remarkable things that happen after the resurrection. John chapter 21 opens up by saying this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. After this, that this is the resurrection. If I were to pick an ultimate example of the revelation of Jesus, it would have been the resurrection. Yet Jesus reveals himself to the disciples again. The Gospel of John, as, uh, as translators try to help us understand it, contains 21 chapters. Had John's gospel, when you get to the end of chapter 20, that seems like the best place to end the book. I mean, if you just back up and look at the end of chapter 20, it says in verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That seems like a really good point to end. It's like if this was a movie, the, the end credits would start to roll at the end of chapter 20. I mean, Jesus has died, he's been buried, he has been resurrected, and there was one what happened in chapter 20 is uh, that, that there was one of those disciples, Thomas, who didn't believe. Jesus walked through a wall and said, ta-da, that's the Greek version, ta-da. He said, here I am, look at the, the holes in my hands and my feet and my side. And Thomas fell down and Thomas declared. And then it tells us just all these other things. And it seems like the perfect time to end chapter 21. But there's one, or chapter 20, there's one more chapter in John's gospel. And I wonder if maybe Jesus decided, according to verse 1, to reveal himself again because there's one disciple that we haven't heard anything from since the resurrection. His name, Simon Peter. Which when you read John's gospel, you see such a role that Simon Peter has in the ministry of Jesus. But once the events of the crucifixion occur, John the Baptist falls off the pages. Excuse me, Peter, Simon Peter falls off the pages. I'll preach on everybody by the time the service is over today, okay? He's nowhere to be seen. Remember when the last scene we have of Peter, it's kind of awkward. Remember, Jesus had got the disciples together and said, look, all of you are going to betray me. And Peter's like, these other losers might betray you, Lord, but I would never, ever, ever betray you. No way. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny me three times. And, and Peter's just like, well, okay, whatever. And a few hours later, Peter is around a fire, and someone says, hey, 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 I know you. I recognize you. You're one of the men that follow that Jesus guy. And Peter's like, who? I don't know who you're talking about. What, I, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. And that happens three times, and then 
Early that morning after that third denial, that rooster crows. Peter is embarrassed. Peter is humiliated. Peter is about as low as he can get. He knows that he has failed Jesus and failed him in the most miserable way possible. So before John ends his gospel, Peter needs to be restored. The failures of Peter needs to be forgiven. Peter himself as a failure needs to be forgiven. Why? Because even though the gospel is certainly the story about Jesus, we also need to understand how that story of Jesus impacts ours. And so verse 2 tells us, I promise we're going to read faster in just a moment. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin... Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Watch this. What was Peter? Fisherman, fisherman. What was Peter's occupation before Jesus called him to follow him. He was a fisherman. And now Peter, post-resurrection, in the midst of his failure, says, you know what? I'm just going to go back to my old way of life. He went back to his old way of life pre-Jesus. But it wasn't the same. He did not catch anything. Has that ever happened to you? Have you failed the Lord and you find yourself discouraged and despondent and you go back to your old way of life but you can't find the same enjoyment in it? Look, Peter is in the most miserable place to be spiritually and some of us, and by us I mean myself, I've been there as well to where I've seen too much of God's glory, I've seen too much of God's power to ever be happy with my old life but I'm too discouraged to keep trying to move forward with God. Have you been there? This is where Peter is in this moment. Verse 4 says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. Look, if you are a fisherman in this culture, in this context, this is about the worst series of statements you could say to a fisherman. Jesus says, hey, boys, hey, children, hey, kids, these are grown men. These are strong men who are out trying to do this fishing. And Jesus calls them children. And then knowing that they had not caught anything after they'd been fishing all night, Jesus said, hey, kids, y'all catch anything? And they said, no. And then don't, don't you love it when people offer you unsolicited advice? <laughs> when we first, I mean, our oldest is 21 years old. And when, when we first learned he'd be coming to the world, 
I was pastor. That was a difficult pastor. That's another sermon at a time. But I was amazed. Until we got the news he was being born, I didn't know how many parent experts I had in my church. <laughs> but as soon as I said we'd be having a child, everybody knew what we were supposed to do. Well, here Jesus says he's going to offer them some unsolicited advice. Well, why don't you just toss the net on the other side? And I can just envision Peter <laughs> pretty frustrated that they don't yet know this is Jesus and, and just saying, the right side, huh? And just tossing the net just to spite whoever this guy is. Yet when he does, <clears throat> the whole right side of the boat begins to take on water under the mess of mullet that filled the net. I mean, it was a ton of them. In verse 7, <clears throat> that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, oh, I love Simon Peter. He's such a goober sometimes. He put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. <clears throat> when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish already laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore. Simon Peter hauling this whole net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, I want you to hang with me for just a moment. I told you there's a point. There's no points in the sermon, so don't worry. He ain't even got to a point. I'm not going to get to a point, all right? Take heart. Ten, all right, 12 disciples. Judas is out, so we got 11 left. Ten of the 11 disciples went in the boat Peter decided to swim. Have you ever seen one person outside Michael Phelps be able to outswim a boat being rowed by 10 other people? No. But Peter says, I'm going to do this. And he jumps in the water and he begins to, to swim. And he's doing all this by himself. And he gets there, and there's this whole net. Again, he's got 10 comrades who can help him, but Peter, by himself, hauls this net onto the shore. What we see Peter doing in these verses is exactly that, his doing. He's putting forth so much of his own effort. He's the guy who's swimming. He's the guy who's hauling the net. He's saying, I got it, Jesus. Look at me. I'm swimming to you. I'm hauling the fish. I don't know if you guys watch Survivor. We watch Survivor at our house. It's one of our, our weekly uh, traditions to do that and highlights of our week uh, to, to watch that. But there's always somebody on Survivor who thinks they got to do it all. And Peter's that guy. Peter is trying to impress Jesus by all the things that he is doing. And don't miss this. <clears throat> While Peter is doing all this work, Jesus is just standing there with breakfast ready for him to come eat. 
In fact, verse 9 tells us that Jesus had already put fish on the charcoal fire. Jesus does not need the fish that the disciples caught. Jesus is just waiting for Peter to show up and enjoy breakfast. But Peter's showing Jesus, look at me, I'm doing the swimming. Look at me, I'm hauling this net. The the reason John is letting us know this is there is a contrast he is showing us between Peter feeling like he has to prove himself and the simple invitation of Jesus to Peter to enjoy what Jesus has already done. I want to repeat that. The contrast is showing us Peter's attempt to do something to contribute to something that Jesus has already done. You see, from Peter's perspective, his relationship to God has always been about working and proving himself, but Jesus isn't asking Peter to prove anything. He doesn't even need Peter's fish. And guess what? This is not the first time this has happened, this whole fish in a boat thing. Way back in Luke chapter 5, what an interesting thing happens. In Luke chapter 5, when Jesus calls the disciples, Peter is among those first disciples that he called. And listen to what Luke chapter 5, verse three, verses 3 through 8, what it says. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Jesus asked him to put out a little from the land. And Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the nets were breaking. John, they didn't break this time earlier, the the nets broke. They signaled to their partners in the boat to come and to help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon, watch this, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. let's, Let's compare the first time this happened with the second time this happened. When Peter first saw the glory of Jesus in Luke chapter 5, when Peter first saw God's power, it made him want to run away. He said, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. But now, post-resurrection, when Peter sees the glory and the power of Jesus, he wants to draw close. So that's how the gospel works in our lives. When we first catch a glimpse of God's glory, the awareness of our sin makes us want to run away. We are undone. We don't deserve it. But then we begin to see the glory of the gospel. We begin to sense God's love and grace for us, and we want to be close to him. Peter understands this, 
but he has yet to fully embrace it. He knows that God loves him, but he still thinks he has to prove himself to God or do something for God in order to be accepted by God. Does that describe you? You know that God loves you. You know that God has grace for you, and you want to draw close to him but you have yet to truly rest in his love and rest in his grace. You have yet to really believe that Jesus has finished the work for your salvation and there really is absolutely nothing for you and I to do other than to trust what Jesus has done for us. We have, maybe some of you have yet to believe that it doesn't matter what you do. There is nothing you can do that will cause God to love you any more than he loves you right now. And there is nothing you will ever do that will cause God to love you any less. And then Jesus gives him and the disciples this wonderful gospel invitation In verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. The invitation of Jesus is always that, hey, come and receive blessings. Come to me and find rest for your souls. Come to me and find forgiveness for your sins. Never does Jesus say, come to me and show me that you love me, then I'll do something for you. Never does Jesus say, come to me and prove that you're going to do things, and then I'll choose to accept you. No. Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, now it gets personal. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. He said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. It almost seems like Jesus set this scenario up to remind Peter of his failures. For Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three. And three times Jesus says, do you love me? That's why I think he gets so, Peter gets so frustrated at the third question is he realizes I denied him three times and now he's asking me three times. The question is asked around the fire. Where did Peter begin his denial of Jesus? He was around the fire. And Jesus asked that first question as the disciples are there. And he says, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Because 
Peter was the one who said, if all these other disciples desert you, I'll always be there. Now, is Jesus being cruel? Is he trying to embarrass? I don't think so. Jesus isn't doing this to embarrass Peter. He's not doing this to shame him. Jesus is trying to show Peter that the basis of his acceptance isn't in how well Peter performs, but the basis of Simon Peter's acceptance is that the love and acceptance of Jesus is given to him as a gift because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. All of us, all of us need to be saved from our sin. Some of you need to be saved from yourselves. Some of you need to be saved from your self-righteousness thinking that by doing X, Y, and Z, you will earn the favor of God. Sometimes it almost seems like sometimes the sin, the blatant sin in front of us isn't as big an issue as the self-righteous sin is that's within us. A lot of us have that moment When like the prodigal son, we realize that we're in the pig pen and we realize that our sin is great, but yet we still adopt the posture of the older brother who gets upset that forgiveness is given so easily after all that this older brother has done. We need to be saved from our sin and our Selves. We need to be forgiven for our sin and our self-righteousness. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you were old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you from where you do not want to go. This Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Now, now before we hit this, and these verses are not on your screen. In fact, this morning as I was looking back, I just kept reading a little bit more. <laughs> Look in verse 20. It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple that Jesus, whom, whom Jesus loved, John, following him. And the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is this going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? <laughs> Peter still doesn't get it. Peter's like, after that, Peter's like, okay, Lord, that's good. But uh, John, is he, the, is he the knothead that's going to end up betraying you? Sometimes I wonder if Jesus just wants to rear back and just go, <laughs> But notice what he said to Peter in verses 18 and 19. He's telling Peter that one day, Peter will have the courage to die for him. Now that may sound like really bad news, but it's not. Because Jesus is saying that Peter will one day make good on the promise to not forsake him. 
How did Jesus transform Simon Peter from a failure to a faithful follower? It wasn't through asking Peter for more performance. It wasn't from from sending Peter to a conference to learn how not to deny again. It wasn't through giving him more rules to follow. Peter was transformed through an experience of grace. In fact, the failures of Simon Peter brought him closer to Jesus than his successes ever would. Satan. Now I'm going to close with this, maybe. Satan will do Everything he can to keep you from experiencing a relationship with Jesus, including taking your failures and trying to get you to focus on your failures or to do better or to be better. He will do anything instead of encouraging you to do what Jesus encourages you to do. And that is receiving acceptance from God by grace through faith. My friends, the invitation of the gospel is to rest in the work of Jesus and to place your faith in Jesus. Jesus has love for the losers. He has grace for the guilty. And he has forgiveness for the failures. When it comes to my sin, I am a loser. I cannot defeat it, but his love can. When it comes to sin, I am guilty, and I cannot make myself righteous, but by his grace, I am. When it comes to failure, that's me, but that failure is not final because there's forgiveness in Jesus. Do you have that relationship with Jesus? Do you have a relationship with this one who died, was buried, and rose again? Did you come in here feeling like a loser who can't get it together? Walk out of here realizing that you're loved by Jesus. Did you walk in here feeling burdened by the guilt of your sin? Leave here with your life full of the grace of Jesus, grace that is greater than our sin. That you walk in here today feeling like a failure, that you just cannot get things going right in following Jesus. Rest in his grace and walk out of here forgiven. I don't know how you walked in, but I know how you can walk out. You can walk out knowing that you're loved, knowing that God has given you his grace and knowing that you're forgiven. Would you bow with me this morning? In just a second, I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and sing. I don't know what God has spoken to you, how he's moved in your heart today. Maybe if you need to have a relationship with Jesus, maybe God brought you here today for this very purpose, to hear of your need and to hear of the solution to meet that need in Jesus. If you have questions about what that means to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, during this time of commitment, you can come down to this altar and say, Pastor, I need to talk to somebody, and we'll get you to someone. You can come by the next step desk outside uh, the, this uh, sanctuary after our service. If that's your need, 
however you have to do it, find someone today who can share with you the love and the grace of Jesus. And if you don't know someone who can share that gospel message with you, I'll be more than happy to share it with you and to get you to, or to, to point you to someone else who can. Maybe God's moving on your heart to take a step of obedience, a step of baptism, a step of recommitment. Maybe you feel a lot like Simon Peter. Maybe you have denied Jesus. You haven't been following him closely. You feel like a failure today. Confess that sin to God and then rest in what Jesus has done for you. Father, I thank you that Jesus did for us what we can never do for ourselves. And I pray now that we would simply surrender to what you're calling us to do today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.